One of the biggest names in Bay Area sports, Andrew Bogut. He has not dribbled a ball in anger as yet as a member of the Warriors, but he will be doing that soon. Uh, unless you've been living under a rock for the last uh, few weeks, you know what has transpired. Monty Ellis et al. are gone. Andrew Bogut is here, and we appreciate him spending the time. Thanks very much for coming in, Andrew. Really appreciate it. No worries. Hey, let, let, me, let me just ask you. I know there's probably no good answer to this, but I, I've traveled rather extensively, and whenever I've met an Australian, they're, I mean, always good-natured people, <laughs> just, just free-thinking, free spirits. They love to travel, love to party, love to have a good time. I mean, is that just indigenous to the country? Yeah, it is. Everyone's it's just such a laid back country. I mean, people work hard from nine to five, but when they're when they're off work and they have their free time, you know, they want to catch up with friends and have a beer. They want to go to the local bar. They want to go to go to football matches on the weekend, and it's, it's just a it's a whole different uh, pace of life. I mean, it's a big city, but at the same time, you can find anything you want as well. How did uh, you end up going to Utah? Uh, not many schools recruited recruited me. Funnily enough, a lot of schools from small-time schools in California recruited me, and Utah was the biggest. Uh, at the time, Rick Majerus was there, so he had a pretty decent track record of, of getting guys to the NBA, um, and he knew a coach of mine in Australia. And That was your goal of, from the beginning, though, get yes, to the NBA. Yes, it was. Yeah, definitely. Yep. The dream dream come true. I didn't think it was possible as a 13-, 14-, 15-year-old, but I just kept working towards it. And uh, The and number just, one pick overall, that has a nice ring to it. Yeah, got, got lucky, so <laughs> it worked out real well. Did that, I mean, sometimes you look at Alex Smith here, who was the quarterback of the 49ers, and that, that was a, kind of a curse to him because he had to live up to that. Uh, or even like Mike Dunleavy. And Dunleavy was the number three pick. If he'd have been the number 10 pick, nobody would have gotten on his ass so much. But you know, <laughs> when, when you're, when you're yeah. drafted that high, there are a lot of expectations, and you have to assume that goes with the deal. It, it does. And, you know, I've always said I'm, I haven't been a flop, but I haven't been a, a superstar all-star yet and I think I'll get there one day but it's just one of those things that in college at that time um, and in the, in the amateur world I was the best player at that time so I thought I'd go top five I actually thought Chris Paul should have probably been up, up a little higher I thought he was going to battle me for the number one pick not just Marvin Williams but the way it worked out is Milwaukee needed a center at the time and um, they took me all right, everyone needs a center all the time. <laughs> Aussies are all nice people but it doesn't better not carry over onto the court right you get a little mean nah, streak out there uh, a little bit yeah a little hopefully, bit hopefully uh doesn't cost me too much money, fine wise. When did you when did you tur- when did you realize you had a mean streak? Is that just something that came out naturally? Well, that, I mean, if you, if you read my profile as a kid, I was always tabbed with the attitude problem since I was about <laughs> twelve or thirteen years of age, and that was because I played basketball and I, pl- I tried to play it the right way all the time. And if a guy's open, I pass him the ball, so I'd get really really angry with 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 teammates at a, at a young age if they didn't pass the ball. And then people, you know, parents and coaches were like, "Oh, that kid's got an attitude problem. He's got an attitude problem." So I bounced around from club to club as a junior trying to find my way and uh, eventually that that bad attitude got me to where I am today because it kept a, a fire lit under me that I just literally wanted to kill everybody that I played against. <laughs> That's you know. a pretty good attitude. Yeah. I mean, you grew five inches when you were 15. That must have helped your attitude a little bit. Yeah, it helped a little bit, but then I, I kind of, <laughs> my skills went down a little bit. Uh, I was dribbling the ball from a little bit higher, so I had to adjust. But <laughs> uh, yeah, one of those things that definitely helped me was I was tall as an 11, 12-year-old, stopped growing completely at 13, 14. Everyone caught up to me, so I was like, I better learn some, some basketball skills other than just playing in the paint. You know, there learn how to handle the ball. Now, just say, there are a lot of people who have not, over the years, who have not wanted to admit how tall they are. Like Bill Walton never wanted to say that he was seven feet tall. He didn't. I mean, he, he was. That's true. He thought he it was a detriment. He went at six eleven, and and even uh, Kareem, I think, went as seven one or something. He was like seven three and five eighths, if I remember. I mean, it's like 
if they think I'm this big, they're going to expect more out of me or something. <laughs> or or poor, poor Will Chamberlain, nobody gave him a chance. Everybody rooted against him because he was so much bigger than anybody else. It was like David and Goliath. Yeah. Have you had any thoughts about your height for no, one I mean, way or the other? I handle it well now. Um, but you get a lot of, you know, being being out in public, you get a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> you know, uh, how did you get so tall? Oh, my God, you're so tall. And you hear it every day. You know what I mean? So sometimes I feel like wearing a T-shirt that says – Yes to that, you know, when they ask me, do you play basketball? It says yes and then seven foot because the next question is how tall are you? So <laughs> you just get used to it and part of everyday life. But um, as a kid, I struggled with it. You know, I was always picked on in, in school and got in a lot of fights and a lot of trouble because a lot of older kids thought I was older and always tried to test, you know, the big and guy. And, themselves. and that was just something I grew up with. But I've come to, to learn to live with it and I actually enjoy it. I make a lot of a lot of wisecracks and jokes about it when people try to try to mess with me. So it's good fun. Got a good one for you. I don't know if you've heard it before, but the uh – I wish I could remember to whom to attribute it, but it was one big guy, and he said, next time somebody asks me, how's the weather up there, I'm going to spit on him and yeah. tell him it's raining. It's raining, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. that is an old one. I don't know if I want to try that one. It might end up in the paper, but um, <laughs> if I do try it, I'll blame it on you. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. And people guy. won't believe you, too. <laughs> smart, smart guy. Uh, you were talking about your life back in Australia and what goes on. Uh, I'm a longtime Carlton Blues fan. Oh, wow. Talk to me about your footy. Are, well, who, they, who do you root for? I root for the Bombers, so we're your biggest rival. Look out, We're baby. supposed to hate each other. You and I are going to go toe-to-toe <laughs> this year, no question. And if, for people who don't know, Australian rules football. I think it's, is, Did you play growing up? Yeah, I did a lot of the like the younger clinics and t- stuff mm-hmm. like that. They have this thing called um, Auskick, which is kind of a, a national, kind of like basketball without borders, but for sure. Australian rules football. And, you know, in my opinion, um, I think it's the toughest sport in the world. There is no question. No, it's it's. Well, I mean, there's no there's no pads. No pads. There's no line of scrimmage, so you can get hit from any angle. These guys play 30 minute quarters without the clock stopping. They have 18 guys on the field, only four substitutions, and the quarters. Yeah, the quarters go about 30 minutes, four of them, and you know you're usually running. Most players run 10 to 13 miles a game, and that's at full tilt. That's not jogging. I mean, yeah, the the, the, the it's way a bloodbath. You know the way. Anybody talking about concussions there? Yes, it's funny. It's I, been a very big issue, but way before it started here. I mean, we're, Australian Australian medical system is very, very good for sports and, and our physios and our recovery systems. They study it so much because these these Australian rules footballers go through so many injuries that they've seen everything and they study it and they know how to recover from it. And essentially, Ralph, what they're wearing is a tight basketball uniform, <laughs> yeah. right? Shorter, like, shorts. like back in the day, like the John Stockton, John shorts. Stockton outfit. <laughs> and it's it's a hell of a game. High I mean, I'd, I'd, anyone who hasn't seen it, go on YouTube. You know, Australian rules football, and you'll, it's you'll, fabulous. You'll see it the grand a, final gets ninety thousand plus. The week of the grand final just, in uh, Melbourne yeah. is unbelievable. It's well worth it. But I've t- I've talked to some guys who have played, and they say when they talk to Australians who've played the game. They look at football like that is nothing. These days, yeah. they're like, these guys are all padded up, helmets and big shoulder pads, and they stop every 15 <laughs> seconds, and they break for 60 seconds, and then they scrum for 15 seconds. That's what I'm saying. I mean, not, not, not to take away from the NFL, but no. I mean, they're obviously much bigger guys in the NFL, but the strength, the, the, you not only got to be strong and, and, and physically fit, you got you got to have some stamina to run. These guys run, and the, the field is about, I don't, know, I don't know, yards, so I'm from Australia, it's a metric system. Two three hundred meters is the length of the field. I mean, that, that's a, that's a hike, so it's it's pretty tough sport. It's amazing to watch. It's really it really is fun to watch. I don't understand it all, but I really <laughs> anyway. The Blues are going to win it all next year. Well, let me that's give you let me give you a few names, uh, Andrew, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. No Australians amongst the top tennis players in the world. I mean, for once, yeah, it's... Leighton Hewitt is he? I, well, I can't got... think of anybody else who's in here. What's happened? But, well, Bernard Tomic is our next one. I mean, he's he's a young fella. I think he's nineteen or twenty. Um, he went to I think he went to the final sixteen at Wimbledon. He's probably our next best hope, and um, 
he had a decent Australian Open. I think he ended up losing to, to Federer in the th- fourth round. I think it was or third round. He's our next hope. You know, he's a, I think he's about six four, six three, very very lean, gets around the court, covers the court very well. So he's probably our next guy that we're looking to to to, to get us to that. He used stage. to dominate. I mean, Cash and well, Rafter, Cash. I mean, it's just you know um, all the way back to you know. I I still think that. Uh, you know, the Australians and Newcomb, I got to meet Don, uh, John Newcomb a couple of yep. times. It was, and you want to talk about guys having a good time. I mean, <laughs> these, these guys, I mean, they, they were they were just the best. And it's just so, has, has tennis, has there not been much of a appeal lately, or has it just, I'm not sure are what there it guys is. going into other sports? Maybe. I mean, Australian football's become, got a bad habit of poaching a lot of the the aspiring basketballers that want to go to college have been approaching them because it's a similar, you know, similar attributes in both games. But as far as tennis goes, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, hopefully the women's women's game has been okay, um, but the men's has definitely taken a downturn. We we used to have five or six players, you know, that were in the top fifty, and now it's it's one or two. So hopefully we can get that back. Do you know what the deal is with the Australian St Mary's pipeline here? Funnily enough, Daniel Kickett, if you guys remember Daniel, sure, Kickett, he he was. The guy that started it, um, or Adam Caporn was, but I mean Daniel Kickett was the guy that was—he was an all-conference guy. Um, right. And uh, when when Randy Bennett came out to to see Daniel after they'd signed him, he actually saw me and tried to recruit me, but I'd already signed with Utah. But Randy Bennett's a smart guy, you know. It's a smaller school. It's not a it's not a big name uh, California school compared to UCLA and so sure. on. But he's established a pipeline, and and coaches in Australia genuinely trust that he's going to take care of those kids when they come over here, and that's a big appeal. I mean, an Australian kid. Ending up in, in in New York or the Bronx or or whatever, I mean, you'd be worried, you know, as a you know, it's a kid that knows nobody in the in the country and has to kind of find himself. California is the most similar climate, the most similar similar mentality um, to Australia. All right, when you're growing up playing the game, did you look up to the NBA American star, or was there an Australian? And, I, and the name that jumps out is Andrew Gaze. Obviously, that's one of the first that comes out. If you're going to think of great Australian yep. players, it's one that steps out there. But what did you what did you want to pattern yourself after? Funnily enough, um, Tony Kukoc was one. You know, Croatian heritage um, from both sides of my family. Migrated from Croatia um, when they were, my parents were young, and he was a guy that had a similar body to me at a young age. You know, very skinny and wiry, could do a lot of things, and as a guy I looked up to. Um, but in Australia, probably, I mean, Luke Longley was probably the guy. You know, he won he won championships with Tony. Funnily enough, and a guy that kind of you know did the college thing and then. And then got drafted pretty high, so they're probably the two guys that I looked up to. And those are the guys. And, and the NBA, though, big for you guys down there because there's the NBL. You guys have your yep. own league, yes. but it's the NBA that really drives you guys from a basketball standpoint. Definitely so. And in the '90s, it was absolutely crazy. It's died down a little bit now because the National League is not doing as well. I mean, we used to get ten, fifteen thousand people yeah. to the tennis center watching a basketball. The Tigers game. are great. The Tigers yes. were the Tigers were like the Lakers of that. Uh, exactly right. Yeah. But it's kind of died down a lot now. We're trying to get it back to where it needs to be. But the NBA, I mean, I. I'm a fan, I'm a fan of the game, but I study the game, and I know I can tell you a lot of the history since since the early '90s, from when I was a young fellow watching those games. And every Saturday morning, they used to have the game of the week and NBA action, and mm-hmm. I used to take both of them and watch them every day till the next um, NBA action and, and plays of the week. So um, it was it was always an exciting time for me as a young kid. I, I guess you're not old enough. But speaking of Croatian, did you ever meet Drazen Petrovic? No, no. I mean, I've, I've actually, funnily enough, met his his mother and father. Um, he's an idol of mine as well. Um, you you know, can play, man. Was... And it's still it's still a tragedy today in Croatia. It's people still talk about when you it's mentioned a holi- when you, it a ho- there's like a ho- yeah. not a holiday or something. It goes when you with that. when you mentioned Drazen Petrovic or, or basketball in Croatia, that's the first thing that comes up. And it's it's almost twenty. It is going to be twenty years next year. 
on from the tragedy and people just love him there. His mother actually opened up a, 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 a Dresden Petrovich Museum in Zagreb, so I got a chance to meet her and actually went to where he grew up in Shibenik, a small coastal town, so I was pretty fortunate. Really? Was Dejan Bodoroga, was he Serbian? Serbian, yes. Serbian, okay, because yep. that was a terrible split. Remember, there was a time yes, when they were all... So. In fact, I saw a, a special where Vladi Divac yes. went back. Once Brothers. Right. Once Brothers. Yeah, the documentary is very, very deep and very, very um, compelling. Tells a pretty good story. Um, obviously, it would have been better if Dryzen um, had a chance to express his side of it. But sure. uh, it was very well put together and an emotional thing. And, I mean, that, that rivalry's. I hope it ends one day because, you know, it's it was politics and so on. But sure. the Croatian-Serbian rivalry, unfortunately, is still very, very messy. Whenever they play over there, you know, it's riot police type stuff. So oh. it's, it's pretty tough. We are going to get up to the present day shortly and we'll talk about Andrew and his thoughts and feelings about coming to Golden State and the circumstances and Warriors' new center, first legitimate center they've had in quite some time since God knows when. What, what was it like when, when you heard Joe about Barry the Carroll, by the way. That was the yeah, I forgot about that. What was it like when you, when you heard about the deal? When, what was the first? Did you have uh, foreshadowing? Was there some... some uh, Things that to, happened previously. Did you ask to be traded? That's what he wants to know. Did you ask to be traded? Uh, I think it was more the writing was on the wall for both parties. Um, I, I was never kicking and screaming, like, get me out of here. I knew after the injury that chances are I'm going to get moved. I knew the off-season before that they were, they were exploring deals through my agent. So, you know, I just kind of kept the professional. But um, I was excited when I got the call. Um, you know, it was one of the nicest cities to live, not only in, in the States but in the world. Um, didn't know a whole lot about the ownership group and, and what's transpired in the last um, one or two years, let, let alone the, the last 20, 30 years. <laughs> so I did some research on it, um, did a lot of reading online. And um, Well, look at that. How many players would do that? That's a real common trait. <laughs> no, uh, well, I want, to know, I want to know the guy's name that's going to be, you know, paying my salary. And, you know, is he good I, for this money here? Yeah, is he good I, for this? I want to know, you know, that well, how he, you know, I just want to know about the person. How did he become what he is and, and, and what drives him and whatnot. And then once I'd met um, Joe LeCobb and so on, I mean, he's a phenomenal guy. He knows basketball. He's one of the few owners in the league that knows the game. He, he's not he's not an owner that's just, you know, paying the bills and owning a ball club because it's the, the cool thing to do. He wants to get this thing right. Um, he wants to get this thing back on track. And, and he's he's not, you know, he's he's forking out of his wallet. He's, he's spending a lot of money. No, there's um, no no doubt about that. I mean, and uh, I agree with you. I mean, I'm playing the devil's advocate because I like Joe Lakeup. He's been... He's a great guy. He's enthusiastic. He's willing to spend his money with you. But sometimes when you know basketball and you're an owner, that can be a dangerous thing because you get the people complaining about the meddling owner. And I asked him that when he first came in here with Raymond when he first bought the team a couple of years ago. And he said, I said, you're going to open yourself up to a lot of criticism. And he said, I know that, but I'm I'm going to be involved. And I guess if you spend $450 million for a team, you're entitled to say something somewhere along the line. The uh, I mean, I think things will... When they can see you in the flesh and see what the deal, how it was consummated, I think that'll make a big difference to the fans. But what 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 was going on in Milwaukee? Why were they willing to let you go? Um, I think probably the, the the time was up. It was it ended up being a a mutual divorce that you're still friends with your wife afterwards. Um, I still have a lot of great memories in Milwaukee, and and I left it as professional as I could, and they left it as professional as we could. But it was just time to move on. It was seven years. Good times, bad times. Obviously, the injuries the last couple of years have been frustrating, high-impact injuries that are out of my control. And I think um, we just both wanted a fresh start. And they, they got their fresh start, and I got my fresh start. I just to step back for a moment, Jim, I wanted yeah. you to – you were going to ask about Majerus, right? Oh, I, I, I wanted to find out I had heard that. a story that 
in the end, it didn't end pretty. Rick wanted you as a player when you went there, but in the end, he wasn't as complimentary about you and the way you played as you were leading up to the draft. Did you guys end in a, in a decent – was that a marriage that maybe ended a little bit differently than the marriage in Milwaukee? I'd never heard from, from Coach Majerus ever since the day he left. Um, he left abruptly from the University of Utah with you know a heart condition, but there's, there's reports of you know leaving because of some problems with the NCAA and so on. And um, he basically left my freshman year. I think it was it was the game before our first conference game against our our rivals BYU at home. Mm-hmm. We got pulled out of class on a Monday morning. Um, got told he had a heart condition and he's left and he's not coaching us for the rest of the season. And I really haven't heard from him since, to be honest. The end. Then. You know, this issue came when uh, I was about to get drafted number one and number two, number three, top top pick. And, uh, you know, he, he made some comments about my eyes. Yeah, what was that all about? <laughs> that I'm going to go blind in the next five years. So I can still see you guys, so I'm doing pretty well. But He's not an ophthalmologist, uh, I'm not so we'll sure, start with that. I'm not sure what he was trying to achieve there, um, whether he was trying to make me fall in the draft or whatever it may be. At the time, he was an advisor for the Milwaukee Bucks, funnily enough. Great finish, Senator Cole, our owner, and they stemmed their ties after they drafted me. It was a frustrating time. Um, not sure from what angle he was playing, but uh, something I got through. Hmm. That's It's got to be disappointing, but you move on. You move on to the next level, and now that next level is here. I want to piggyback on something Ralph was talking about, and he asked about Joe Lacob, and the guy does want to win. But in this trade, he's also said it's a transcendent moment for the Golden State Warriors organization, which immediately thrusts a lot of pressure on a guy on the biggest name of the piece, and that's you. Hit a home run. Yep, he I hit a so. home run. Look, I mean, I think in saying that, he, he meant obviously we're getting a good center, you know, with, with, to play for Golden State. But obviously moving away from Monta was a big step for them. I mean, they didn't want to trade Monta Ellis. I mean, he's a fan favorite. Um, I know that. I know that the fans here loved him. So as part of that transcendency, I think, was that as well, you know, giving up a player that's that's done, done, done well for the franchise in the last couple of years. So, you know, I think it's just a whole new fresh page and trying to build, you know, back to being a playoff team. How does the pressure that Jim was talking about attach to that, compare maybe with the pressure of being number one overall in the draft? You've had a lot of pressure in your life earlier. Does that make this easier to deal with? It does. It does. But I'm not a, I'm not a selfish guy that I'm going to come out and say, okay, I need to average 20 a game and prove to these fans that I'm worthy, but we're still losing games. It's not about that. Uh, we need to, you know, everyone needs to be accountable on this team for us to win basketball games. First, first and foremost, on the defensive end, you know, our defense needs to get much better, and that's something that we're going to work on, and something that I can bring straight away, um, shot blocking and clogging up the paint. But I don't really see that as a pressure. I think it's something that you you want, you know, to prove yourself and prove that you were worthy of the trade. But if I start looking at, okay, how's Monta doing? Am I doing better than him? Am I putting up better right. numbers? Who won the trade? That's 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 not my my problem. My problem is getting getting this team back to to winning basketball. We're talking to the first NBA player that has ever done research into his owner here on, <laughs> on KMBR, the sports leader. Regiment T, Ralph Barbieri, and Tom Tolbert. Tommy is out. He's in Vegas playing golf and gambling with his friends. And Jim Cozumore is in the house. And more importantly, Andrew Bogut is in the house. He's just, uh, if you talk to him, it's like talking to most Australians. You will find that he is a delightful guy. No phony errors, no BS, tells it as he sees it, and uh, it's very refreshing to have uh, someone like him. We're just so used to people lying to us all the time. I sit here for four <laughs> hours a day, and people lie to me. Players lie to me, managers lie to me, general managers lie to me, so you don't have any reason to lie, but you'll add some later on. <laughs> but good, good to have you here. Seriously, Andrew. Uh, 
talking about this is like a this is a British expression, not an Australian expression, but a bit of a sticky wicket with this uh, the um, Olympic team. Now, everybody wants you healthy. That's everybody's big concern: is he healthy? Is he healthy? Is he healthy? You probably know about that, and yet you're not going to be healthy enough to play by the end of the season, but you will be healthy enough to play for the Australian Olympic team if you so choose to. Now, obviously. The last thing that, uh, and you, you mentioned you're, it's not like you're not cognizant of things you say, but I got to take into consideration the investment of uh, the people that have, uh, that own the franchise. And how do you, obviously they would prefer that you don't, they're not going to tell you that, or maybe they are, but uh, how, how do you handle that dilemma? Well, yeah, like you said, it's a tough spot. It is a, a sticky wicket. That's probably the best word for it. Um, obviously the, the ankle injury is something I need to get right. Um, with these type of ankles, it's similar to, to a Steph Curry issue where if you come back too early, you're going to re-injure it. Um, and I've said this from day one, if I'm not 110, not 100, 110% healthy, uh, both mentally and physically, you know, the Olympics are out, um, which is tough for me. I've played, I've been fortunate enough to play at two Olympic Games. They're a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement to get there. They're, you know, it's just a, it's a life-changing experience, something that you tell your grandkids about. But at the same time, I need to make sure that I'm healthy and I'm right and, if it all works out, it works out. If if it doesn't, you know, I got to I got to you know reevaluate things and 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 see what I got to do in the summer. What if if you are one hundred and ten percent healthy, will you will you play in the Olympic Center? Or you you'd like to do it? Yes, most likely. Yes, if I'm one hundred and ten percent, um, I would like to play in the Olympics. But you know, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a dogfight just to get one hundred and ten percent healthy. I mean, the the camps start in June, um, which does not give me a lot of time. And it all depends on, you know, this next scan that I have in, in two and a half, three weeks. I have another another CT scan to see if that bone settled down. Um, and obviously if it hasn't, you know, you know, time's getting of the essence. Because to be brutally frank, if you get hurt in the Olympics, Joe Lacob's next public appearance is in about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. If I do, I probably won't tell anybody. I'll just quietly go home and try to get healthy for the season. But it's tough, man. I mean, it's real tough. You always want to play for your country. I mean, it's a little different in the States because, you, I mean, you guys have so many good players to choose for in a dream team. Let's be honest. I mean, you guys have a cast of 100 guys that could play for the dream team. Maybe, but it's not like it's been a cakewalk for America. I mean, it hasn't. No. You're right. But, I mean, the last – The world's caught up. Exactly. And Colangelo's done a great job with establishing they need a team, not just a team of stars. And you know, Australia's a little different because I'm I'm the, I'm the guy in Australia as, as is Gasol to Spain, as is, you know, and that's just – International basketball is an important part of, of our culture, and that's what I was brought up. That's how I was brought up through that kind of system, playing junior basketball. I won a, a gold medal at the Under-19 World Championships, so I've experienced how, how cool that camaraderie is. You're not playing for money. You're not playing you know, to, 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 to try and get your image out there. You're playing for your brothers and your teammates, and, and you want to go out there and win. So it is. it will be tough to miss, but at the same time, if, if I'm not ready, I'm not going. Did the Australian Olympic Committee, do they, I don't want to say pressure you into, but of course how they close do. They do? I mean, oh. it's pushing and pulling from every, every side, and <laughs> rightfully so. I mean, the franchise. Do you know what I mean about being honest? Yeah. yeah. A little, I, a little honesty. <laughs> yeah. Some points for a little honesty well, look, here. Yes. I understand both sides of it. I'm not, not naive enough to, 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 to say, you know, I don't understand. I understand both sides of it, um, but at the same time, this could be a situation with the first time in my life. I probably have to be selfish and, and think about myself a little bit. You did mention a couple of times about uh, the the Australian Australian basketball as it is in the NBL. Maybe not what it was in the nineties. Yep. Is that something that drives you once your career is done? Because I do know that recently you've become involved on the business side yep. of things. You've yes. invested into your agent's agency. Is that correct? My Australian based agent. Yes. Australian based agent. Yes. So define what that means. Are you interested in getting into the business side of this of sport? Oh, definitely. I mean. 
you know, reduces my fee because I own the business. <laughs> it's just a pretty smart thing to do. But, but you pay yourself um, more, actually. Take more of a percentage from yourself. Exactly. For yeah. tax purposes. Yes. Uh, basically, I have an American agent that's phenomenal. Um, and years ago, I hired an Australian agent to handle my public and public and PR affairs in Australia because it was too hard for an American guy. Time difference, emails. He handles all my all my marketing deals, my radio stuff, TV stuff, and phenomenal guy. I built a great relationship with him. And I think we, we established the business. I wanted to help him out financially to, to back him to start the business properly because I think there's a lot of agents out there that, you know, there's good and bad, but there's a lot of sharks. There's a lot of, a lot of agents that knock on your door. You've got a five-year deal. They're there the first year and the fifth year. Uh-huh. Two, three, four, five, you don't hear from them much. Two, yeah. three, four, sorry. So we want to make sure that our athletes are, you know, right in mind, you know, financially they're doing the right things with their money. They're upstanding citizens. They're good people. And they're, they're, they're you know, when they retire, they have something to look at. As we know, the, the reports, Antoine Walkers and so on, we don't, you know, we don't understand how that c- agents can let that happen. Andrew's way too yeah. smart for this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, if you owned your own team, would you ever suspend yourself? <laughs> 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 well, how do you see your role, talk about on the court stuff now, with the, uh, with the Warriors as opposed to with the Bucks? Well, first and foremost, defense. That's, that's why I'm here. I mean, um, we gave up 66 points yesterday in the first half at Houston. Um, and that's that's not acceptable for any team in the NBA, um, let alone us. So um, bringing a presence in there, being a big guy, I'm at the back of everything. I can see, you know, what's going on with pick and rolls. You and so enjoy on. defense? I do. I do. I think, you know, if you if you get stops, you can – that running game becomes much easier if you get stops. If the ball's going through the hoop, it's much much harder to score. Um, I think, you know, I'm top top five shot blocker in the league. I led the league last season in shot blocks, and, and I can mix it up. I'm a top five charge taker in the league, so – I think if you mix that in together, I think it helps out. And defensive rebounds is a specialty of mine. And offense will come and go. I was taught at a young age that if you're not, if if you're not a, scoring well in a game, affect the game in a different way. And I'm a firm believer that if I have a bad scoring night, I'm still going to affect the game defensively, and I'm still going to pass the ball. I'm still going to get rebounds and try to get hustle points. And I don't want to be a one-dimensional player. What is it, Andrew? I mean, this has never been the case with you, but when you see other big guys, uh, they you got to get them involved. <laughs> early in the game in the offense or they just don't show up somehow. I don't know. If it, you said, is that it? They're just getting mad that they're not getting the ball or is it subconscious or? Sometimes, sometimes. And I can understand it sometimes. I mean, I've been on teams in Milwaukee where I wouldn't, I didn't touch the ball for six, seven minutes. What? <laughs> but, How does that happen? Well, early on in my career. I mean, we had some scorers at the two, three spot um, and at the point guard spot. And sometimes you literally wouldn't touch the ball or wouldn't, wouldn't take a shot in a quarter. Then all of a sudden, you know, you get fouled, you go to the free throw line, you brick two free throws because you haven't you haven't touched the ball in so long. So I can understand that. But as I as I grew with my career, I understood that okay, I'm not getting the ball. So what? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ten, fifteen rebounds. If I only take two shots and they only give me the ball twice, I'm still gonna have fifteen rebounds. Still gonna block two or three shots. I'm still gonna have a couple of assists. So you can always you can always affect the game um, rather than just trying to score all the time. What do you know of your teammates? For instance, David Lee, a guy you're gonna presumably play next to. What do you know of his game and how it fits with what, with what you can do? Well, I know Dave, Dave is dying to get out of the five spot. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's told me that. He can't wait to play with me. He wants to move back to his natural four because, you know, he is a little undersized to guard a lot of the big men, and that's why I'm here. I mean, well, Tom, here. my partner, Tom Tober, was 6'8". He was playing the five for Nelly. <laughs> yeah, for, for exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, up against Elijah Wan. Then you got, you know, Steph Curry. Um, obviously, you need to get him healthy as well, but very high IQ guard, can shoot the ball very well. Clay Thompson. Um, this is, you know, it's a bad situation that we're losing games, but it's a good situation in a way for him. He's getting his confidence that he can play in this league. He's, he's, he's got a phenomenal jump shot on him, and he's a very high IQ guy. Um, myself, Richard Jefferson's going to help us, some veteran leadership there. And then obviously we have, 
you know, a lot of uh, some free cap room, and we have a lot, of, a lot of picks in the draft. So I'm very, very excited. It strikes me that there is a considerable difference in the mindset and the personality of the coach that you're leaving and the coach that you're coming to. Yes. How, how, Correct. How, how, how would you describe <laughs> that? <laughs> um, you know, Skull, myself and Coach Skulls, Honestly, I've, I've said this. We've butt, we've butted heads, but on a professional basis, he's a tough guy to play for. But on a professional basis, you need if you're not. Well, butted, why? Why is he that tough? It's just his mentality. He was like that as a player, but you need to have confrontations with a player and a coach. If, if you're if you're not getting having a confrontation at one point in the season after losing a game, your coach is doing you an injustice, and you're doing your coach an injustice. You have to have that professionally. You don't need to go to the media and be made a big deal, but you got to get into it every now and then. He he might think. Hey, Bogues, you're not playing well. You know, suck it up. What's wrong with you? you, you you're being you're being soft. And then I might say, Hey, you know, you need to you need to shorten up your rotations, or you need. To, and that's just a part of it. Um, professional franchises deal with every day. It doesn't need to go to the media. And uh, I never had no problems. Um, I think he's one of the smartest defensive coaches in the league. And now it's a different side. I've got obviously a, a coach that's in his first year, so he's learning as he goes. Um, great, great personality. He's been in the. Have you spent much time with him? Yeah, I have. I mean, it's. Um, an, a little difference to, to Milwaukee that you know I walked in the first day I walked in and um, you know they, they the owners are great to us they have chefs there cooking us breakfast and lunch and whatever we want we can get which is phenomenal but he's sitting there eating with us so I walked in I was like what's going on are you is this a coach's <laughs> locker room or are you a plant or are you the real coach <laughs> yeah exactly so I mean we're not used to that and that's no disrespect to Skiles but that wasn't his mentality I mean um, Mark Jackson's a a player's coach, but he, he knows when he needs to when things need to be said, they they get said. But at the same time, guys want to play for him, and he's a former player, very very key in this league. I think players respect former players that are coaches a little bit more. I think because they know what we go through as players. Yeah, it's a real tough. You, if you want to be a coach in this league and be successful, you either have to have some rings or you know, be a, a guy who played before. Because the guys try to come out of college, and very rarely does very that hard. work. Yes, very hard. All right, where are we? We got to jump? Yeah, we'll come back for one All more right. segment with Andrew Bogut and uh, get completely up to date here on KMBR, the sports leader. Excuse me, another five minutes to spend with Andrew Bogut. You know what I'm missing here? I'm just missing a pint. I feel like I'm sitting here with a pint. <laughs> Don't you feel like you, you're like, I have a pint and we're just sitting around talking? It, it's, if you're with an Australian, it's uh, very seldom it have I seen an Australian without a pint. <laughs> well, next time I come, you have a, have, a yes. tap, have a tap here, a little keg, and Done. we'll fill up. Done. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone behind the glass is voting yes. <laughs> They're jumping on board that one. All right, well, go ahead. What, what, what are your expectations here, Andrew? I mean, I'm not the – a lot of people will say that the ownership got in trouble because they were saying we're going to make the playoffs and saying this and we're finally going to have a winning team and and that hasn't worked out this year for a variety of reasons. Ownership has tried and they tried with Chandler and Jordan and uh, – it didn't work out, and hopefully we're going to be happy that it didn't work out because they've ended up with you. But uh, so, what do you do? You feel not pressure necessarily, but uh, like they're really counting on me. They haven't had a big guy for so many years, and I. Uh, what, what, what do you think this will all come out in the wash? Yeah, definitely they are counting on me, and that's there's, there's an added pressure there. But I, I take that pressure in stride and know that I work extra hard this off season to come back in the best shape possible. Um, and, and win games. We've got to win games. I think no matter what's going on in a franchise or even a college or a school, um, if you start winning, it silences a lot of things. A lot of that, you know, people look into things much more deeper when you're losing. Uh, oh, the coaches have an argument with his best player or this. But then when you're winning, oh, they had constructive conversation about, you know, X's and O's. I mean, that's just how this league is and how, how professional sports are. Winning cures, cures everything and, and losing magnifies everything. 
How have you, just from, from your own personal feelings as to how you played, how do you feel you fared against some of the other big guys in the league? Pretty well. Pretty well. Obviously, I have my tough, tough, tougher matchups that I, I do every now and then need help from, from teammates, but um, I look forward to those challenges, like the you know the Dwight Howards, um, back when Yao Ming was playing, the Tim Duncans. Me and Tim Duncan have had great battles over the years, um, and you look forward to those. That's, that's why you play this game, is to test yourself against the best. You don't want, want to always just play against teams that don't have a have a great center and just try to get your numbers up, um, that's that's useless. You'd rather win games against the best. Everybody wants to get better year in and year out, but because you have this boot you're wearing, how can you work on getting better? I can what still get you better. You can, can still get better. Be a professional. Getting better means doing my rehab, showing up on time, making sure I'm there, doing the extra work. I can still go out. My arms are still working, so I can still do some touch stuff around the basket. And as soon as this thing comes off, I'll be excited to be on the basketball court again. Um, I hate being away from the game, and the lockout um, left me – to a point of class where I was almost suicidal because I just met, I just missed the game so much. I, I easy, easy. I, easy. Hadn't, yeah, I, know, huh? I, hadn't, I hadn't played a game. Not before since, next year at least. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't played a game since yeah. April and a lockout hit and I was getting to, you know, where I wanted to sign in Australia and just play for a local team there if the insurance really? came through. Wow. Because I was just, I just, I just, you just miss the competitiveness of, of playing and that's why in the off-seasons I'm playing poker, I'm playing cards with my friends, I'm – I'm doing, you know, I play squash at a local squash center with one of my friends. Really? I play tennis. I just want to be competitive. Yeah. And I have to keep score of everything. Everything I do, I keep score of. So it's it's, it's great. How's your el- elbow? Elbow's That's the fine. other thing because we're always talking about the boot, but the elbow's elbow fine. was something that was, it was a big deal. Nasty though. injury. Was yeah. it displaced? Uh, it was every, you everything it? you can think of yeah. it was. Um, okay. I broke it. Uh, uh, sorry, dislocated it. Bone chip. Broke my wrist on both sides and broke my index finger. So it was a pretty high impact injury and it it, it it caused a lot of damage. But I played played through it, um, through a lot of pain last two seasons ago, um, and then had this. The lockout was a blessing in disguise because I got a lot of time to get you know function get it functioning right. I mean, my arm wasn't moving right that whole previous season, so I had time to get it right and rehab it. I know you hate this, Andrew, but people keep saying he's injury prone, yes. and you've been. Your injuries have not been related, yet it was only your first year that you played uh, every game. How do you answer that question? Well, to an extent, it's true because I have been injured. Um, but you look at the extent of the injuries and you dig a little deeper, they're not injuries due to lack of conditioning. They're not injuries that I showed up to camp overweight and I've busted my ankle because you know, I'm too heavy. These are high-impact injuries because I play hard. I mean, I'm trying to take charges. I'm trying to block shots. I'm trying to help the team win. and. Every now and then you're going to step on someone's foot, you're going to roll your ankle. You just hope it's not as bad as, as this worked out. And um, if people want to label me, so be it. I don't take too much offense to it, and I'll just work hard in the offseason to prove them wrong. All right, let's. Uh, I, enough basketball. Off the court. Uh, now we understand you like the automobiles. Yes. Uh, but you stay to the speed limit, I'm certain. On Always. Always stay to the speed limit. Always, sometimes. How many automobiles? Uh, at the moment, I've got about up to 30 to 35, but I'm selling a fair few of them. But. Um, you know, when, when people hear this, they're going to say, wow, stupid NBA players got a lot of cars. I've got cars that, that, are, that are worth $5,000, and I've got cars that are worth the higher end. I collect older cars. I see them as pretty decent investments if you can clean them up and sell them. And I just enjoy, you know, um, that era of the 50s, 60s, 70s. Like I told you guys off air, I would have loved to have lived in the rock and roll diner type era. Um, that uh-huh. Well, I did, and this is what you get. <laughs> yeah, I know. Think again, Andrew. Think again. Look at that. You're looking in a mirror right there, brother. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The Beach Boys battling the Beatles. Is there a car that you're, it's on your wish list? A car that's on my wish list? Um, I've never – I want to just drive a Ferrari. I don't know if I want to own one because it's a hell of a lot of coin. Mm-hmm. But I do want to experience driving a Ferrari on a on a road course of some y- kind. Yes, or yes. Some- Although I go freeway. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I can tell you that uh, 
We sincerely hope that everything goes well for you. 